Thank you, music team. What a beautiful, moving and appropriate uh, chorus this morning. It was really a hymn, wasn't it? Um, yeah, well, good morning. Um, I'm a little bit uh, reflective this morning. I had a very tough day yesterday, so I don't come this morning with a beautifully crafted prayer. Um, I uh, had a phone call early yesterday morning uh, and uh, from the son of my dearest friend, and uh, uh, he passed away yesterday, a man that I've known for 60 years. Um, he is very much instrumental in me uh, coming to Australia and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, huge influence. He wasn't a perfect man um, by any means, and we had a very interesting, long friendship with uh, some bends in the road, And but uh, he's gone home. Uh, he's at home with the Lord, and he, you sing that. And, uh, you know, the grace, the grace of God, um, at the end of the day, when we all stand before our Lord and Maker, uh, that's, the, that's the day. And, and when you see somebody, dear, and many of you have faced this, some of you recently, and you, you know how, how tough it is when you, you see somebody and you know that they've gone. Um, their spirit is gone. There's just, it's just a, a thing. But yesterday we, uh, it, it, it wasn't sanitized. You know, sometimes you hear about things and people are away and it's sad. But this dear friend was sitting in his armchair and uh, he'd just gone to sleep. And uh, he, he's just gone. You looked at him, you knew he was gone. And we had to wait for the, um, uh, the undertakers, the retrieval team, to, to come and collect him. And so I was with his son and uh, we were together. And, of course, you keep walking in the room and he, he's sitting there just, just like that. And you keep th- you know, the son kept saying, he wanted to say, Dad, Dad, where, where did you hide this? And where did you, you know, because <laughs> he's sitting there. Um, it was the most extraordinary feeling. And then when the retrieval came, it was two, it was two ladies. And my mate was a fairly big fella. And so it ended up with the four of us having to put him into a body bag. You know, that's, it doesn't get much harder than that, you know. So I didn't sleep a lot last night. That's why I'm a bit of a, I a, bit of a high out there on the, out the front. But uh, you, you really, life comes right into your face when, when you lose somebody. And, and many of us have, have experienced that. And you do a lot of reflection. And so I, I'm, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will, will help me pray as we, as we pray together as a church. This is corporate prayer where we come before God. That, that beautiful song, just so much. You know, because the future is what we're, we're heading for. This world at the moment is a mess. We know that. We're confronted with so much every day. But our hope is in the risen Christ and the, the, the future that he has for us. And so with that, would you stand with me and pray? And, and uh, if you can, you know, if there's a point where you feel you can join in, well, let's pray. Oh, God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, gracious God, you are a gracious God. You are the sovereign God. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. Lord, there is nothing that's made that is not made by you and nothing that you don't understand or see. And, oh, God, we all stand exposed before you this morning. Our lives are laid bare before you, oh, God. And, Lord, when, when we finally come to that point where in this life uh, our bodies stop, Lord, there's no other time then to adjust things. We can't make any changes. Lord, what is, is, is. And... Uh, Lord, we all st- will stand before you on that day. And so, our God, as we reflect, as we reflect on this world at the moment, we see what's happening. Oh God, we are, as a generation, we're seeing the results, Lord, of, of turning our backs on you. Lord, we no longer love your word. We don't place you in first place. Lord, we don't, uh, so often we don't obey that commandment, your first commandment of loving you, putting you first, loving you and, and loving others. Lord, we've become a very selfish generation. Lord, we're very self-absorbed with our little world. And Lord, we, we start with us instead of starting with you, our God, our creator. And so, Lord, this morning as we stand and, and, and reflect too on that song and, and the eternity and the plans that you have for us, oh God, we thank you. And even as we look at the mess that this world's in, Lord, we see fire and famine, we see plague, we see... Uh, so much trouble, uh, uh, the, the, the world in just, in, in just such turmoil, the wars and, Lord, it's just not Ukraine that uh, <clears throat> we see because that's the current one in the headlines. 
excuse me, but Syria and Africa, uh, drug wars happening in the Americas, and uh, God, there's so much trouble in this world, and, and uh, we don't want to dwell on that. Lord, we want to dwell on the message that at just the right time, uh, you sent Christ. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to find me. Lord, I was lost, but you came and you sought me and you found me. And I thank you, Lord, for many of us here that <clears throat> have heard your call. You've revealed yourself to us. You've come, and uh, as we look at the, the Easter story, and Lord, and realise that, oh, God, we're all sinners. None of us have got it right. Lord, we cry out for mercy. Lord, in your judgment and your judgment on this world, we, we pray for mercy. Lord, help us to turn to you. Lord, to, uh, Lord, we can't do this in our own effort. Lord, we try so hard. Uh, we try politically. We try in, in, in human ways. Uh, Lord, we, we blame climate change. We blame these things. And, and, and Lord, I, I don't want to go into all that, but you are the sovereign God. And, Lord, you promised that you will bring a new heaven and a new earth and all things will be restored. And so, our God, we, we trust you in that. Even though we don't understand, we look to you, our God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that as we turn our hearts to you, our Lord, it's uh, in the prayer uh, in Chronicles where it says that, Lord, if your people will humble themselves and pray and turn to you, oh, God, you promise to heal our land. God, forgive us where in the old prayer book where it says, Lord, that we've done those things which we ought not to have done. And, oh, God, we've left undone those things that we should have done. Lord, help us to make those adjustments. Lord, help us to be willing. Help us to swallow our pride and our, uh, not just our ignorance, it's just our willfulness. And so, oh, God, that we could come before you and celebrate on that great day. Lord, as we could walk into heaven with heads held high, look you, Lord Jesus, in the eye and say, thank you, my Saviour. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've made a way. Thank you, Lord, that you came. You came uh, to seek and save those that were lost. We thank you, our God, that you came and you found us. And, Lord, that we can know you. And thank you for your word, Lord, that reveals who you are. Lord, that gives us a, a pathway to follow <clears throat> And so, our God, this morning as we come before you as a, as a church, as a group of people and as individuals, Lord, touch our hearts afresh this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, come amongst us. Lord, only you can do this work. Lord, change our hearts. Oh, God, to help us to come to a better place with you, not by our self-effort, but by, Lord, looking to the work of cross, the cross that Christ came and gave Himself for us, Lord, that we could come to know you. So, our God, we pray. Pray for this church. We pray for our future. Lord, that we will be able to walk into glory one day with the heads held high. Lord, rejoicing and, and thanking, Lord, that there is no more pain. I thank you that my friend is out of pain. And Lord, uh, pray. Uh, he's in, you're a merciful God. He's in your hands. And so, our God, this morning, as uh, we come to worship you, we lift our hands to praise you and to worship you and acknowledge you that you are our God. And then the, 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 the lovely uh, simple prayer, and, and maybe you'd like to pray this with me. If, if you speak it out loud, that's great, but just pray this in your heart. It's called the Jesus Prayer, and it says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, thank you that you are a merciful God. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for your great grace. Lord, help us not to uh, push that aside. Help us, oh God, to embrace all that you have because you love us and you want what is best for us. Oh God, we sometimes think you're our enemy and that you're <laughs> pushing us around. But God, you only do it because you love us and you discipline those that you love to make us more like Christ. So, oh God, we bless you this morning and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel like we're kind of done for the day. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Um, thank you, Mike, for your, your honesty and your sharing. Um, not that it's comedic, but sometimes you know, when you go to a comedy show, there's, there's a person that warms up the crowd for the, for, the, for the comedian that comes up. I feel like you've, you've warmed us up for what God wants to do for us and amongst us today. Um, and it really 
Look, the worship, the, the words, uh, your prayer really ties in with uh, what I sense the Lord wants to share with us this morning. Uh, and that's just really an exciting thing to know that the Lord's gone before us. Um, but I uh, just want to say good morning to you all. Uh, just like Joe, it's fantastic to be amongst our church family again. Uh, if you are visiting or you're new or perhaps you're watching online for the first time, uh, my name is Sam Barnes and I'm the pastor here. And the last three weeks we've been away because our family has been uh, hit with COVID. So I just want to say thank you for all of you who prayed for us, all of you who have blessed us with practical meals. Uh, we didn't even expect them, but they turned up, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but also I just want to thank uh, those who stepped up in the meantime when, when we weren't able to be here. Um, uh, Willie uh, last week in fact, at the start of the year, I said on this stage, there might be a time when we get hit with it and I can't be here and that's just going to be the reality. And she heard that and she had a message ready for the day when I'd be able to ring her up and say, today's the day, <laughs> I need you to come and, and, and preach. And, and I, I contacted Mike uh, three, four days before Easter Sunday, probably one of the most important uh, days in, a, in the church calendar, you know, Resurrection Sunday. Hey, Mike, have you got a word to share? Can you, can you do something for us? And he steps up. And, Kathy, I just want to thank you for uh, Good Friday. Uh, we got together and had a couple of conversations, and it was pretty loose <laughs> in our ideas. Uh, but, Kathy, you pulled that together and just made a wonderful time uh, for our church family. So thank you, and other people too, worship leaders, uh, preachers, welcomers, everyone who just stepped up. And it's wonderful to be, be a church where, you know, it's not about me. I've so often said, you know, I, I'm not your saviour. Jesus is. And, and we all worship him and we all declare uh, his goodness for us. So um, this morning I want to just share something that I feel like I've been reflecting on last couple of months, um, and particularly as we just had our Easter time. Uh, it's a time we, we've been singing about it. Jesus is alive. He's conquered sin and death. He's raised from the dead. Uh, we don't serve a dead God he is alive. He is amongst us. He is present with us. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? In fact, I often think about the first uh, disciples, the first early church. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Paul's letters. What they had was the message of the resurrection. And they went and spread this message that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I get the sense that Jesus is alive, then why do I feel so dead? Do you get that sometimes? I feel so, so dead in myself. But have you ever had an experience, an encounter, where you know that you've experienced the presence of God? Like it's a tangible sense that God is right with you. You can sense him, his arms around you. Anyone ever had that, those times in, in your life? I want to say this morning that the resurrection reality means that those times shouldn't be weeks apart, months apart, years apart, maybe even decades apart. That should be our everyday experience as our, in, in our walk with Christ because he is alive, because he is resurrected we can boldly enter his throne room and know his presence with us every day, every day. And so this morning I want to speak to you about modern-day temples. Now, you might be looking at that title and going, what on earth has that got to do with what you just talked about? <laughs> Hopefully it un un unveils itself in, in a little while. So, Modern-day temples, I'm not talking about some sort of Eastern, New Agey sort of thing. That's going to come about. But I just want to, before we sort of jump into modern-day temples, I want to talk about what I would describe as the most important building ever built in history. It's a bold claim, isn't it? The most important building ever built in the history of humankind, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I would say it's the most important building, not because it was because of its size, not because of its beauty, 
but because of its purpose. What the, the building represented and what it meant for the people of God. Because the people in the Old Testament had a very different relationship with God that you and I have today. The Old Covenant people had a very different reality to the resurrection life that you and I experience today. Um, We worship the same God. The songs that we sang say, holy is the Lord. This God that we worship was the same God that the Israelite people, the the Jewish people worshipped. But their relationship was so different. It was actually um, very restricted You and I, we get to pinch ourselves every day that we live post-Calvary. We just celebrated Easter, and Easter on Good Friday, it says that the place where God dwelt in the temple, there was a thick curtain, and that was torn in two. And the barrier that that curtain represented meant that you and I can boldly go into the very presence of God something that those people were unable to do. Unless you were a priest and you went through a whole stack of rituals, uh, and even then it was only for a short amount of time, could you actually experience the presence of God? And yet you and I, post-Calvary, Jesus took our sin and, and dealt with it, and because of that the curtain is torn. You and I can boldly walk into the very presence of God, and he accepts us. He doesn't say, well, you're not good enough, you haven't done the cleansing rites, you've got to go through all these steps before uh, I accept you. No, we can go in because we take on Jesus' righteousness. And the Bible says that we are clothed in white, there is no spot or blemish. Uh, Sin is taken away and because of that we can enter into the very presence of the living God. Amen. So... But this was not the reality for the people in the Old Testament. Sin was still a problem. It was a problem that had not been resolved. A bit like a bit of a black cloud, uh, something that separated the people from the presence of God. A holy God could not be in contact with a sinful people. And so there was this barrier and, and, and people try to penetrate it and, and, and get through to God. But God himself sometimes penetrated, didn't he? There are many times in the Old Testament where you see the evidence of God sort of breaking through and coming in, whether it be a, a burning bush uh, or a, a pillar of, of cloud by day or fire by night, whether it be um, during the Passover when he, he came and, and made himself known. Uh, you know, there's, there's many occasions, Elijah at the cave when he hears God whisper. Many times when God would break through. But here's the problem. No one knew when or where. You were lucky to be in the right place at the right time to actually experience God's presence, to experience God's power. It was, it was a very rare occasion. In fact, um, for the majority of God's people, they had to come to the terms with the fact that they would never experience the presence of God that they believed in. Imagine that. Imagine that for a second. You live, you have faith, you trust, but you never actually have the opportunity to experience God's actual presence in your life, and you live and you die. I just want to stop there for a moment because I think that's a very interesting point. Maybe ask ourselves a question, which covenant are we living under this morning? Do we live in the New Testament reality, the new covenant reality that we can experience and know the presence of the risen living Lord Jesus in our hearts? Or do we live a bit like the old covenant and go, well, there's a barrier, there's something in the way, I've got, to, I've got to do this first. Maybe I've got to sort that bit out before I can get hold of that. Do I actually know him? I was um, preparing this morning's message 
Um, and, and as you do in this day and age, you flick through Facebook every now and then, just have a bit of a break. Uh, and Rob Bailey, I don't know if um, many of you in the CRC would know Rob and Liz Bailey. They're uh, travelling uh, ministers and they've come to Hills a couple of times. And I'm a friend with Rob on Facebook and, and he shared this quote from David Rodway, who is a pastor, and he says, In my 52 years of practising pastor, I would estimate at least 50% of parents in the church have never experienced the anointed presence of God, nor have their children. Wow. In 52 years of experience, that's his estimation. That 50% are really living in the old covenant rather than the New Testament reality. So the old people, they... they they had a tent to start with, a tabernacle that, that they, they travelled with where God would, would come and dwell and be with them. But then God speaks to David, King David, and he says, I want to build a big, big building. I want to build a temple. And he gives King David the plans and King David wanted to build it, but uh, God said, no, I'm going to give that to your job to your son Solomon. And so King Solomon gets the plans and he's got all the resources and he builds this temple Huge, amazing temple in Jerusalem. But here's the thing, probably not really understanding its purpose until they consecrate the temple, until they spend days praying and worshipping and the Lord speaks on the night of the dedication and he says this in 2 Chronicles, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated the temple so that my name or my presence may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. See, the temple was the first ever permanent connection point between heaven and earth between God and humanity. Before, God would show up at times and places, but now for the first time, permanently, there was a point where God dwelt, where the people could come and meet and experience God's presence, for he was there. Now, you might say, okay, well, that's, that's well and good, but the temple's no longer there anymore, so what's the point of going on about this temple in Jerusalem? It was knocked down. In fact, it was knocked down once uh, during the exile when the Babylonians came and and took the the Israelites into exile. And then it was built again. Nehemiah and Ezra built it again. Uh, And then uh, after AD AD 70, historians say, it was was knocked down again. So 2,000 years later, why are we talking about a temple? Why are we talking about uh, this building? And I want to say that The temple building is gone, but the temple principle remains. That's what I want to share this morning. The temple principle remains. For the first time, God attached his permanent presence to a physical place. And now in the New Testament, the new covenant people, there is a new place. There is a new temple to which God is attaching his presence to permanently. Do you know where that is? (laughs) There is another point of connection between heaven and earth. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit, his presence, dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So the temple principle remains that the temple is the connection point. It is the place in which God himself dwells. And as we say yes to to Jesus and and follow him, his spirit uh, is imparted into us and and his Holy Spirit uh, is his presence in us, which is permanently there and it cannot be taken away. Can't knock down uh, these temple. In fact, the... If, if we're looking at this verse properly, uh, when it says you are God's temple or you are the temple, it should be use. 
Use are the temple. Use are that temple. All of us together built up as living stones. Later on, so this is, this is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. His second letter to the Corinthians, he says the same. For we are the temple of the living God. And if we expand that, he says, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We, you prayed that this morning, Mike. I, I don't know about you, but when I, I read those, I, straight away I get the imagery of the Garden of Eden where God walked with Adam and Eve. He walked and he talked with them. He dwelt with them. There was community. There was a sense of his presence physically amongst them. When Paul here says these words, he's actually quoting scripture. There's three times, there's probably more, in fact, in the Old Testament, um, in many, many um, prophets said these, said these words as, as, as God prof- as the prophets prophesying what God was going to do in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get out. One example is in Ezekiel. He says this, I, this is God, will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting, permanent covenant. And I will put my sanctuary, my temple among them forever, my dwelling place, my presence will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is a common phrase, a common thread. In fact, it says it in um, Revelation 21 as well, as John describes the, the new creation. In fact, I think I probably want to read that. Um, in the light of Mike, <laughs> Mike, in the light of what you uh, shared as you prayed this morning, I pray that this, this be a blessing to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, people, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We have a new covenant. The old has passed. In fact, later on, I think it says, um, I think it says, and I saw the city and there was no temple. There, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city. Why would, God, why would John describe that there wasn't a temple in the city? Because God has now got a new covenant. There is a permanent temple, you and I, where he will dwell with us, walk with us, talk with us, be with us forever and ever. Isn't that great? So... You are the new permanent connection point between heaven and earth. You are called to reflect the glory, the presence of the living God. It says in Hebrews 8, um, I was going to say tribe kids, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to look at that. Um, It says in Hebrews 8 that the old covenant uh, has been replaced with a new one because it's based on better promises. So the new covenant, there's there's a there's an improvement, if you like, to the to the way things are. And I want to say there's there's an improvement to the temple, to the temples. Three three ways in which there's there's some improvements. There used to be one temple that serviced millions of people. Now there's millions of temples. Not just one, but millions all around the world. There used to be one temple that was stuck to one place, not movable. But the new temple is 
They've got these, these things attached to them, two legs, able to walk into your workplaces, into the world, and reflect God's presence in those places in which you uh, live and breathe into your spheres of influence. Thirdly, there was just one design, but now there is a, a myriad of designs of the temple, all sorts of wonderful shapes. And, but it's not about what we look like, it's about what's on the inside. That was the purpose of the temple. It was that God dwelt in the middle of that. So I just want to share, if, if the principle of the temple remains and is the same, just quickly three things, what it means to live uh, in this new covenant reality with Christ alive in us as we, we share our faith in the world. I want to say if what was true about the temple back then should be true about the temple today. Number one, the temple was visible. If you went into Jerusalem uh, when the temple was there, there would be no doubt you wouldn't need a road map. Uh, <laughs> you would be able to see it. It was vast. It was on a hill. It was high. God, when he put the plans to Solomon, he didn't say, I want, to, I want you to build an underground bunker with, with a secret entrance that only those who are saved can come. No, it was on a hill for everyone so that the glory of God could be present and, and nations would come and there'd be something special about it. In fact, I've got a picture here of modern-day Jerusalem. This is taken from the Mount of Olives, the, the point which, where Jesus ascended. Um, and right now, of course, there's a, there's a mosque in the place of the old temple. Um, but you can see there the outline of the... Um, have I got a... No, of the the walls here, of what's what's left remaining of where the the, the temple used to be, and, and many people have tried to reconstruct it based on the the, the measurements uh, in scripture and things like that. And here's one guy's sort of computer generated model. Um, so it's it's big, it's vast, isn't it? It's visible. Um, there's another model that was made that, that it might have uh, looked like that. And here's another artistic impression I might think you might say. So it was visible. And as I think of that, I think about the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew where he says that you are the light of the world, a city or a temple <laughs> on a hill. It couldn't be hidden. You couldn't hide it. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see, that they may see, that they may see. You see, you're supposed to be a visible temple so that people, just like that temple was visible, people might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Secondly, it was visible. Secondly, it was a house of worship and of prayer. It was a place where people gathered for festivals and times of worship where they would sing and they would dance and they would give praises to the Lord. In, in the Holy Week leading up to, to Easter, we know that Jesus was in Jerusalem and he entered the temple courts and he had a, an issue with what was going on there because there, there was a marketplace. And he says as he entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. And he says, it's written to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a dinner of robbers. It was designed to be a place where people could come and pray to the, to the God of Israel and then when it was consecrated, God didn't come to the temple because of its beauty or because of the people. It was still just a building. But when the people gathered to pray, God's presence filled that place and his glory shone around. Are you a visible temple and are you a worshipful praying temple?
where you can call upon the Lord. Man, we've got such a busy lives, don't we? And I think about how so many of us are just, our capacity is full, which is why I love being part of the contemplation group here uh, on Wednesdays. Come along this Wednesday, 10.30, where we can be still and we can know and we can pray that he is God. And we can remove the distractions and we can just come before him. I love that that song, Be Still and Know That I Am God. When it says, Know That I Am God, it's not just that we would intellectualize and kind of understand that He is God, it means that we would experience the reality that He is God. And how do we do that? By enjoying his presence with us, his physical presence. Be still and know, experience me, that I am God. So it's visible, it's a place of worship and prayer, and finally it was a holy place. Back to uh, Psalm 1, 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. And back to that verse in Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, I reckon the concept of holiness is something that perhaps we don't really truly understand in the church today. Holiness, I see it as in two facets. Obviously, the first one is the way that we might... Um, describe the word which means to be pure, to be clean, to be righteous, to be morally upright, to, to not have any blemish or any sin in our lives. That's what it means to be, to be holy. And I think every religion or every ideology in the world has a concept of holiness. But in every other religion, uh, holiness is something to be obtained, something that would be a reward for an effort well done. In fact, there is, um, I remember hearing as, as a youth, um, someone coming to our youth group and talking about this ladder principle, that every religion has a ladder and it's got rungs on it and you're trying to obtain holiness. And that might be done through prayer, might be done through meditation, might be done through whatever system there is or good works or, or anything and, and you're, you're striving and you're climbing and, and the end game is, is holiness is, is, is there. But in the gospel, there is the ladder, but it's used in a different way where God goes, you know what, they're not going to make it. <laughs> no one is able to obtain the holiness that is required. So I'm, instead of them climbing up, I am going to climb down and I'm going to be with them and I'm going to take them in my arms and I'm going to climb back up and I'm going to seat them at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to declare that they are pure and it is a gift. It's not earned. It's not something that is uh, a reward for a job well done. It is his gift to us through his Son. So... Uh, to be to be holy, it's not um, about um, trying to to get there. He's actually given it to us. The second thing about being holy is the Hebrew understanding of the word actually means to be set apart. Remember that song, "Refiner's Fire." My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. In two two Peter. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There it is. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are God's special possession. You are set aside for a purpose. The temple was set aside for a purpose, to be the connection point, to be the place in which God dwelt. And you and I are set aside for a purpose. If any of you have got possessions that you like, 
um, you want to look after them, don't you? Um, we've got little JJ with us, and he likes to find the siblings' toys and play with them, much to <laughs> the pain of his brothers and sisters, because quite often he gets something that they like and he pulls it apart. And we say to our children, well, look, if it's special to you, don't you need to sort of set it aside? Don't you need to put it somewhere special in order that it might remain in a, in a good place? It's the same with us in our holy lives. We are set aside for a purpose. God, We are God's special possession for a purpose. Set apart, different, unique. I was talking to a friend about this and um, talking about being in the world but not of the world. It's what it means to be, to be holy, is to, to remain that set-apartness. And he, he said something really interesting. He said, many of us as modern-day Christians, we're set, we say that we're set apart, we say that we're unique, we say that we're uh, called to be different, and yet we assimilate and we associate with uh, the, the world and we sort of do certain things. And he says it's a bit like being in exile. So what do you mean by that? said, when the people were in exile, they adopted the gods and the rituals and the cultures and the customs of the people that they were exiled with. And as a consequence of that, they lost their uniqueness. They lost their, their holiness, their set-apartness. So are we truly set-apart, holy, as temples of the living God? I want to end by sharing a story that I came across this week. And I want to share this story because it really illustrates uh, one man's example of being a visible temple, of being a worship and prayerful temple, and being set apart and different and unique. And even in the set of his circumstances where you think surely that's going to pollute him, uh, he remained set apart for the Lord. I want to talk to you about Pastor George Chen. Uh, He was a Chinese pastor, uh, and this is him at aged 89. But in the the 70s, he was thrown into prison in China for being a pastor. Uh, The authorities got hold of him and said, you know, that's that's a no-no in China. You can't do that. Um, And so they threw him into prison uh, along with... Inmates who were, you know, they were murderers and, and thieves and all sorts, and yet he was treated the worst because of his faith, even worse than people that had done really horrible things. And the guards hated him for his faith. And every, but every day he said that he believed in the risen Lord Jesus and that he wanted to follow him. And so he would be beaten and, and ill-treated, spat upon, and just really horrific time. But they couldn't beat him down. They thought that they'd be able to. So they came up with a plan, and the plan was this. So after a year of sort of trying to get him down, the plan was to give him a job. And the job was to go down into the sewer of the building Well, they called it the cesspool. This sewer um, serviced 60,000 inmates. So can you, you can imagine the type of place that this is, the type of things that were there. And he was told that his job was to wade into that cesspool and to walk around and unclog all the drains. And every day he was told that that was his job. He'd wade up to his waist in excrement. And I look at that story and I think, man, if, if we think, ever think we're going through a tough time, there are people who have gone through much worse crap <laughs> than you. But they, for six years, they got him every day to wade through this cesspool. But after a couple of weeks of doing this, Pastor Chen thought about something. He said, you know what? 
Before this, I was amongst all the guards that beat me up and all the inmates that harassed me. Now I'm alone. Now I get to sing. Now I get to pray out loud that I was never able to do before. And he looked forward to every day being put into that cesspool to walk around because he was able to pray. He was able to worship with no one telling him off. He was able to have communion and know that his risen Lord Saviour Jesus was present with him. In fact, um, he got out of prison and his church... Um, interesting, was around 100 people when he went into prison. And uh, they sort of, he went back to the church and was surprised that it had grown to 5,000 in that, that time that he was in prison. And they, um, they talked about the time where the growth started and the growth started when he was started to pray and worship and experience the presence of God in that cesspool. But he, was, he came out. And a couple of years ago, he, he was at a conference and he told the story of God's faithfulness to him. And with bright eyes, he spoke of the fellowship he enjoyed with the Lord in the prison. And standing before the huge crowd, this small Chinese pastor began to sing a song that he used to sing in the prison sewer. He sang these words, I come to the garden alone. What an amazing garden. While the dew is still on the roses, and he walks with me and he talks with me. Where have we heard that before? God will dwell with you. You, He'll be your God and and we'll be his people. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there no other has ever known. Pastor Chen learned that the secret to rejoicing was not perfect circumstances, but a consciousness of the presence of the Lord Jesus. And in his presence, Pastor Chen said, from Psalm 16 is the fullness of joy. In his presence. I want to invite the music team up. We're going to sing a song that talks about being consecrated to the Lord, being set apart. And you this morning, as I've shared this message, you might be someone who perhaps has never really experienced the full presence of Jesus in your life, that the Holy Spirit has not fully indwelled you and you haven't just known what it's like to know his love Feel his tangible presence. I want to pray for you this morning. Or perhaps you've been a Christian for many years and you feel like you're living under the old covenant, that there's perhaps a barrier there that subconsciously you've put, God can't love me. I've got to get this right first. I've got to get up the ladder. I've got to remove the things in my life for God to love me. Man, I remember when I was young, I was thinking there's just one thing that I've got to get right before I'm holy. (laughs) Man, the older you get, the more you realise. We need 10 lifetimes if we're going to ever get through (laughs) and get all the things right. But God gives us his holiness and he loves us with everything. There's no barrier anymore. You can enter into his presence. You don't need to wait for... You don't even need to come to church, but every morning you can just pray and know he's with you, know he loves you. You might be thinking, oh, I want to be a temple that's visible. I want to make a difference in the world. I want my prayer life and my worship to be centre. Or maybe, Lord, I want to be set apart. I want to be different. I want to be unique for you. Will you stand with me as I pray before we sing? Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I particularly pray for anyone who 
They might have they might have grown up in a Christian home and they might know of your goodness, they might know of your truth, they might know of your gospel. Yet they haven't really truly experienced the full presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lord, right now as we sing, would you come? Would you make yourself known? Would you be tangibly moving in this place? And for Lord, those who have never even known you, but want to follow you, Lord, would you come as they open up their hearts to you? Would you come and fill them? Would they be known to be a beautiful temple? Not beautiful because of their outside appearance, but because you have come to make your home, your dwelling in their hearts. And Lord, for those who have been challenged by the the temple principle, would you encourage us, embolden us, empower us to be your living temples, movable, visible, places that reflect your glory, places that reflect your goodness, places that reflect your gospel into the world, set apart for you. Lord, help us not to be contaminated by the things of this world, but transformed by being set apart for you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just remain in that attitude of prayer as we just sing and invite the Lord to minister to us. You might want to just kneel before him. You might want to perhaps open your arms for the first time in worship. You might even want to just come out the front, kneel before the Lord. Uh, Whatever you do, know that He is here. Know that He longs to walk with you, to talk with you, to dwell with you. Not only today, but forevermore. Amen. Take my life and let it